Hey readers, I'm Ann Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next, episode 83. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on this show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest. Before we get started, I want to thank you all so much for all the reviews you've left on iTunes. We now have over a thousand, which is amazing. If you haven't left one yet, I would appreciate it so much if you could leave a review and rating over on iTunes. Those ratings and especially reviews really help What Should I Read Next move up the iTunes charts, and that makes it easier for book lovers to find our show. As an extra incentive and to say thank you, we're giving away five deluxe reading journal kits. That's the best-selling item in our shop at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash shop. Each deluxe kit includes my favorite journal, the Loic Term 1917, a tin of book darts, a few of my favorite pens, What Should I Read Next stickers, and more. To enter, leave a review on iTunes. We will randomly choose five winners and each will win their very own deluxe reading journal kit. We may not be able to tell who you are based on your Apple ID, so stay tuned. We'll announce those winners in a future episode and share how you can get in touch with us. Here's how to leave a review. Open up iTunes. You can do that by going to whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash iTunes and clicking view in iTunes. Make sure to hit subscribe while you're there, then click or tap ratings and reviews. Rate the podcast with your star rating. We would, of course, love your five stars. Then click write a review to write your review as long or short as you'd like. Click submit and you're done. Thanks so much for taking two minutes out of your day to do that. We appreciate it so much. And of course, I hope you win that deluxe reading journal kits. Today's guest is Donna Hetchler. If you're a longtime listener, you've heard from Donna before. She hopped on episode 64 and chatted with me about how she tracks what she reads in our special episode devoted to how 15 What Should I Read Next listeners track the books they read. As you'll hear, Donna asked for my help back then with a little personal project she was putting together. And ever since then, I've been impatiently waiting to bring Donna back on the show because you are going to want to hear all about it. Today, Donna and I dive into her plans for a special trip she's taking. It involves the road, a special birthday, and a whole bunch of independent bookstores. Donna's bumped into a fair number of bookworm problems in the planning, and I think you'll be commiserating with her as she tells you all about them. Donna also had a special request when it came to helping her choose what to read next. I was afraid choosing good books that met these criteria might be impossible, but we work it out as you will hear. I can't wait for you to hear from Donna for yourself, so let's get started. Bring in the new year with a new hair care routine, or maybe a new look if you think experimenting with a new color will bring you joy in the year to come. Madison Reed is hair color reinvented. Gorgeous, salon-quality color delivered to your door for less than $25. Remember, now that it's 2019, you don't have to choose between outdated box color or the time and expense of a salon, because we know you'd rather spend your money on books and your time on reading them. Crafted in Italy by master colorists, Madison Reed is professional hair color you can easily do at home. It's multi-tonal, ammonia-free, with ingredients you can feel good about, especially when you find your perfect shade. Get an expert color consultation or take the color quiz at madison-reed.com. What Should I Read Next listeners get 10% off plus free shipping on their first color kit with code READNEXT. That's code READNEXT. Donna, welcome to the show. Thanks, Anne. I'm really excited to be here. Oh, well, I'm so happy to talk to you again, because we first got to chat when we were putting together what is actually maybe possibly our most downloaded episode. It was back in January, and we 
we talked with 15 What Should I Read Next listeners about how they track their reading, and you were one of them. I was. In fact, a lot of my friends were laughing at me about that episode because, of course, I track my reading on Excel and I'm in finance. So they were like, of course you're in Excel. You do everything in Excel. So, but it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed that experience. I'm so glad. Well, and we just had a little conversation after we recorded that episode that nobody else got to hear anything about until today it's coming. But you mentioned that you had a big birthday and a big trip coming up that had me dying of jealousy, but also begging you to come back on the podcast to talk about it with our readers. Do you want to take it from there? Sure. Yeah. So this summer, uh, I'll be turning 50. And I really, I just wanted to do something different. I think that's a big milestone birthday. So I came up with the idea of doing a bookstore road trip. And I'm going to be going from uh, San Diego up to the Bay Area. I'll be stopping at 10 different bookstores And I'm going to get five books in each of them. So I'll get 50 books for my 50th birthday. And then I'm going to try and read them over the next year. That sounds fantastic. And you've been planning this for a long time. I have. I think actually in some ways planning it is half the fun because (laughs) (laughs) I keep crossing things off my list and adding things onto my list. And it's been fun to see what bookstores are out there. It's actually quite heartening that there are quite a few bookstores out there for me to choose from. Where did the idea for this trip first come from? Uh, so honestly, Anne, it did come from you. I, I never, I never mentioned that to you. But what did I say? Well, you were talking about when you would go on vacation somewhere that you would always be stopping in at a local bookstore. And I don't know why this never occurred to me to do. Um, but it just planted the seed of an idea. And it's like, Oh, I think that's such a great idea. I think you can really get the feel of a town by going to the local bookstore. So that's where it started. I actually thought, well, I'll just go on vacation somewhere and I'll just stop at a bookstore. And then I, you know, just kind of, I just kind of went from there. Is it I feel like I should not just keep repeating. I am so jealous. But (laughs) that is what keeps rising to the surface. Donna, it sounds like books must be a huge part of your life if this is how you want to mark a milestone occasion. Yeah, it's really true. I feel, you know, I really was an avid reader from being very young. And uh, of course, one of the categories of books that I'll be getting for this collection are books that really started me off reading in a big way, which for me was Nancy Drew and Agatha Christie. So yeah, reading has definitely always been a big part of my life. And, you know, not to get too philosophical about it, I really feel like reading has made me the person that I am. I feel like it's brought good people into my life. And uh, it's something that is really important to me. And I tend not to I tend not to buy books that much. I'm more of a library person. So in a way, uh, it was also my way of supporting local independent bookstores as well is, is also part of why I'm doing it. You mentioned that you were putting together a collection. Is this the birthday collection? It is. So you're not just seeing what strikes your fancy. You're, are you choosing every book you're purchasing in advance? Probably not every book. By the way, I'd love this question. I feel like I could just talk about this question for the next hour. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'd enjoy that. Yeah, so I'm I'm picking a lot of them, but I'm trying to keep my mind open to what will strike my fancy. You know, I really, I don't really have any rules to, to the list. If I had one 
theme, though, I really want to get books that I will reread over time. I haven't, you know, I haven't thought about how often I will reread maybe, maybe every five years. So, you know, my vision is maybe 20, 25 years from now, I will take one of these books off of my shelf and it will remind me of the trip. I have a, a bunch of different friends who are joining me on the trip as well. And so I think it'll remind me of good times of the trip. But I also, I want the books to almost feel like an old friend, you know, oh, I know this book. And this is a book that really means something to me because I, I don't know, I don't reread a lot. And I feel like I read a book, I enjoy it, but then I put it aside and that's kind of the end of it. So I'm really hoping that these 50 books are different and books that I will really get to know over time. What are some of the titles you know you want to add to your collection? Oh, okay. Well, I'm really struggling with this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here's here's like bookworm problem number one. So I definitely want to get some books from my favorite authors. That's just kind of an obvious one. So for example, Barbara King Solver, I loved the Poisonwood Bible. I know that that's a book that I would want to reread over time, but I'm wondering, do I get that or do I go with a book that I haven't read before? I'm really intrigued by her book. Um, it's called, I think, Animal Vegetable Miracle. I don't know if you've ever read that book. I have. So I'm really torn. Do I just pick books that I know or do I go with something new for my favorite author? Do you have any thoughts on that? I think that's a really tough question. I don't know. If there's going to be a Donna Hetchler 50th birthday road trip commemorative shelf, I might want Poisonwood Bible on it. I know. I'm definitely leaning towards that. I mean, unless I read Animal Vegetable Miracle and fall in love with it, and I can remember wistfully how I picked that up at that bookstore in San Francisco. Yeah, so definitely, definitely we'll be looking uh, at books from my favorite authors. I really love Kate Atkinson is one of my favorites. Uh, I like Eric Larson and um, Stephen King is a favorite, even though he scares the bejesus out of me. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, I I think what I'll end up doing is having a mix of books that I have read that I know that I want to reread and then some newer books as well. And the other big category, which I know we'll be talking about today, are classics. And it just seems a natural fit because, you know, they've clearly stood the test of time. And I feel too like they are books that you could really learn something new each time you reread them. I think that there's a lot of depth to the classics. So uh, there's quite a few of those on my list as well. Donna, how are you choosing the actual bookstores you're visiting on this trip? Well, I have, I basically am starting with the different cities that I'm going to visit, uh, so like San Diego, Los Angeles, Santa Barbara, Carmel. And then once I had picked the cities, then I just looked at what bookstores are there so example for San Diego, they have a bookstore bookstore that's called the Upstart Crow, um, which is an interesting name. I'll have to figure out where they got that from. 
Um, but it was a bookstore that was a chain up here in the Bay Area where I live. So when I grew up, that was a bookstore that I went to quite a few times. And sadly, um, the stores up here by me have closed. And actually, that might be the last one that's left in San Diego. They may have one in Los Angeles. So there's a lot of sentimental value in that one. And But in some cities, there's kind of only one bookstore that's there. I'm going to stop at a city called Solvang, which is, it's about an hour uh, about an hour north of Santa Barbara, it's a cute little city, uh, and they have a bookstore there called the Book Loft, and it just looked adorable. And uh, uh, so I'll be stopping in there as well. That sounds fantastic. And you mentioned that you would have traveling companions. Yeah. So part of uh, the fun of this is um, different friends will be coming with me to the different cities. And so whoever is with me when they come into the bookstore, I'm going to have them choose a book for me as well. And, you know, again, it could be anything. It could be a book that they love, a book that they think is good for me. Um, it could be a cookbook. I don't, I, you know, I don't really care. <laughs> uh, just whatever, whatever they think, uh, needs to be in my collection. No guidelines at all? No guidelines at all. Could be fiction, could be nonfiction. Um, but hopefully with that idea of something that is good to reread over time. Donna, are you memorializing this trip in any way? And it could be anything from creating a detailed scrapbook to snapping photos for Instagram to keeping a spreadsheet, knowing you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, there will definitely be a spreadsheet. <laughs> No question. Um, yeah, I will definitely be taking pictures. Uh, I actually started a website uh, of my own earlier this year. So I will be putting pictures and letting people know what uh, what books I picked up in each of the bookstores. And obviously, I'm hoping, you know, I, I recognize that this is uh, not something that everybody can do. I mean, buying 50 books is, you know, it's a fair amount of money. But I'm really hoping the idea of it inspires people. And, you know, even if it's that on your birthday, you go to the library and you pick up a classic. I think that would be amazing if people got that from, um, you know, from my trip. Donna, where can we find you online to read about that? Uh, my website is called IamYourRabbit.com. And I came up with the name because I feel like I'm always going down the rabbit internet hole. And I really like to do research. I love to learn new things. So uh, the idea is I go down the internet rabbit hole for you. And then I try to bring back some tips and recommendations. And I try to do it in a little bit shorter, summarized way. I feel like I don't know. I feel like sometimes I go to websites and it can be really overwhelming. Like there's just so many words. <laughs> <laughs> no. I mean, I'm a reader, but still sometimes I open it up and it's like, oh my gosh. Or you know how sometimes you go and they'll list out 10 different things you can do to uh, improve your workout or something like that. And I just think, oh my gosh, like there's no way I'm going to do 10 things. So Anyways, I try to I try to do it in a smaller, actionable way, and I'm kind of all over the map. I really uh, love everything entertainment, so I'm always having recommendations of books and music and movies. But I also cover things like 
um, personal finance. I'm doing a series on taxes right now that I don't think anybody is reading, but I'm enjoying it. (laughs) I'm actually reading it because I need the information. Yeah. Oh, that makes me so happy. Thank you, Anne. You've got at least one. Yay. (laughs) I like that because I agree. I would rather spend, I mean, I do read a lot. We both read a lot, but there's so much information out there and I do not need to be reading it all. I mean, I think it would be truly terrible for my brain to try to read everything that I could read every day. So anything that helps you focus on the good stuff is uh, valuable to me. Thank you. That's what I'm trying. I'm trying to have it be both useful and fun. So hopefully that's how people are reading it. I hope so. Okay, Donna, you also came to me as a podcast guest with a specific request that believe it or not, we have not really heard before. Well, when I had talked to you before, you know, I knew that I was going on this bookstore road trip and I was basically asking you if you could give me some recommendations for it, but I really wanted to do it with a theme of classics, which I hadn't really heard you talk about that much before. Um, so that, that was my, my hope is that I could get some specific classic recommendations from you on, um, you know, that I could add to my collection. Do you feel like you've read a handful of classics or copious classics or somewhere in the middle? I would say, I would say probably a handful, which kind of makes me sad. Um, I think that, I don't know, it's so strange because when I do pick up a classic, I find it to be, I I find a lot of them to be really accessible and easy to read when, I don't know, maybe there's still this idea that it's homework and maybe I think I'm going to have to write a book report or something. I don't know. Um, But yeah, I find that they a lot of times are very easy to read either that or, you know, sometimes it is a little bit more challenging, but I like that too. You know, sometimes I do want to challenge my brain a little bit and read something different. So even though I have a good experience when I pick up a classic for whatever reason, I just don't do it that often. When you think to yourself about classic literature, what are you imagining? Like how many years back are you thinking? And I mean, are you thinking only about top tier authors like Austin and Dickens? Or do you have a more generous definition for yourself? Yeah, I think, uh, to be honest, when I think of classics, I think of stuff that I read in school. Um, So yeah, I would say it's probably the more typical classic authors um, and and books that you've probably heard about. Okay, so at least 50 years old, mm-hmm. the kind of stuff they design in lit- literature classes. That's exactly. Okay. Do you want to stick to that definition or do you want to stretch it a little bit? We can stretch it. Okay. I mean, I don't have specific titles in mind yet, but we got to start somewhere. That's right. Donna, are you ready to talk about your favorites? I am. Okay, tell me three books you love. So the first book is Emma from Jane Austen. And that book was published in 1815, which honestly completely blows my mind. That just doesn't even seem possible. I just love this book because to me, it is laugh out loud, funny, uh, literally laugh out loud. I will just sit here by myself and <laughs> look like a crazy person laughing. It's basically about this 21-year-old woman, Emma, who lives with her father. 
and she um, she's definitely. I see her as a very good-hearted and well-intentioned uh, character, and she fancies herself to be a really good matchmaker. And in reality, she's a horrible matchmaker. And when she puts her uh, skills to the test, things kind of go awry, but in a very, very funny way. Like you couldn't have a novel if nothing went awry, or at least not a Jane Austen novel. That's right. What is it about Emma that lands it on your favorites list? I, you know, it's interesting because I um, was torn. I mean, I, I felt like I had to put Jane Austen on my list because I don't know, there's just something about the way that she writes, which really transports me to that time period and that location. Like I literally feel like I'm sitting in the English countryside when I am reading her books. So I knew I wanted to put something from Jane Austen on there. And actually, I kind of have a question about that for you, Anne, because I've only read Pride and Prejudice and Sense and Sensibility, and I loved I loved those as well. Um, but that's really it. And do you find, I don't know, I seem like uh, a lot of the people I talk to, they've only read a couple of her books. I just wondered, what do you think of the rest of her catalog? And do you think that the ones that are popular are popular for a reason? I do think so. But I do know a surprising number of Austin fans who love Mansfield Park. It's their favorite. I've read it a few times. I enjoy it. I haven't read it as much as the ones you mentioned, but I can see they have a point. Northanger Abbey, uh, read it. I mean, it's good. It's short. And it's, I, I do think it qualifies as a major work. Not that I'm a literary critic, but since you're asking, I really love persuasion myself. My Austin favorite tends to rotate based on, I don't know, the last one I read, a little bit of whim, maybe the time of year. In the fall, persuasion is probably likely to be my favorite. It's It has a little bit of a different tone than especially Pride and Prejudice, Emma, those feel a little brighter, a little more sparkly. I've read all her juvenilia and people can start like throwing rotten tomatoes now, but they're, you know, it's fine. It's interesting because it's an author I love, but I never think, you know what I'm in the mood for. Like when I think I'm in the mood to re read Jane Austen, I think of the core six or really for me, it's the core four. It's Pride and Prejudice, Sense and Sensibility, Persuasion, and Emma. I really, I would love to hear what you think if you read Persuasion and I'm, I would expect it to be worth your time. I mean, I would, I would expect you to think it was worth your time. Right. Well, I will add Persuasion on. I'll just consider that a bonus pick. Thank you. Also, if you are in the market for books, for your commemorative bookshelf, there are beautiful copies of all those Jane Austen novels available. Oh, I like the sound of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they keep cranking out beautiful new editions. Like Donna, this is the kind of fun fact that might appeal to you or that probably you already found in your rabbit trailing. So physical books have really rebounded against eBooks. It was looking a little bit depressing for a while if you were a fan of actual paper. And one of the reasons is believed to be how many gorgeous editions of old books. And sometimes 
newish books, but especially the classics. Like now it's no longer unusual for somebody to own 10 copies of Emma, not because they're a devoted collector of first editions or something like that, but because there's just so many gorgeous editions available that you want to have them all if you're a big Emma fan. I love that. Now I'm going to look for that specifically in the bookstores. So I will be taking pictures. You will see them. I think you'll find plenty of good stuff. Donna, what's your second favorite? So my second favorite is Bride's Head Revisited by Evelyn Woe. I hope I'm saying that right. We know who you're talking about either way. And that was published in 1945. So more of a... I guess more of a modern classic, but mm-hmm. I don't know. There's something about how it's written. And I, the first word that comes to mind when I think about this book is that it's just epic. I feel like there's so many interesting themes to this book about complicated families, which is one of my favorite topics. And it also covers um, class society uh, it covers religion. It covers the war. I mean, basically, there's nothing it does not cover. I actually, I first came across it years and years ago. They did a TV miniseries on it, and I had watched that on PBS and loved it, then picked up the book after that and loved it just as much, which hardly ever happens for me. I kind of love one or the other, usually the first one that I've come across. Uh, but in this case, I loved I loved both of them. So definitely feels like a classic to me and and is definitely a book that I already reread on a regular basis. You know what? I do too. Do you? Yeah, I really like that one. It's got it's got this kind of haunting, wistful tone that really appeals to me as a reader. Like that is something that is not it's not good or bad, but it's very much to my taste and I think he does that really well. And I don't feel that way about any of other Oh, no, I'm <laughs> now I'm a little paranoid woes was of the author's work. How's that? I've, I've read everything just because I love Brideshead so much. And I've just never, I've never returned to any of his other works, but I bet I've read Brideshead half a dozen times. Donna, what's your third book? So my third book, I'm going on a little bit different tangent here. My third book is Alice's Adventure in Wonderland by Lewis Carroll. And that was published in 1865. And and to be honest, I could have picked, I'm not like really married to that particular pick. It could have been, oh gosh, it could have been something like The Wizard of Oz, or it could have been Charlotte's Web or some, something like that. But basically a children's classic book that I find when I read it today, I really see things so differently. And it's it's actually just interesting to me to think about how I loved it as a kid, but how I see things so differently today. So like specifically for Alice's Adventures, I think, you know, obviously as a kid, you like the crazy characters and um, you just like the fact that it's an adventure story. Um, But when I read it today, I kind of think more about how Alice changes in the story. You know, what does she learn about herself as she goes through her adventure? Or even, you know, just thinking about the different characters. I'm going to try to not get myself in trouble here, but they kind of remind me of people from work. Let's just say it's <laughs> people I used to work with a long time ago. So 
you know, when the queen is running around saying off with their heads, uh, that kind of reminds me of something that I have encountered in my life. So yeah, it's just interesting. And it makes me think about the author too, right? I mean, obviously they're writing these books from an adult perspective and, you know, it makes me wonder what did, what did Lewis Carroll have in mind? Was he thinking about, you know, was he thinking about people in his society? Was he thinking about politicians or, you know, who knows what was, what was in his mind when he wrote that story? So I'm really, I'm really fascinated by those kinds of books. Okay. Donna, what's a book that wasn't quite to your taste? Yeah. So the book that a classic book that I really didn't care for was The Old Man in the Sea um, by Ernest Hemingway. What was it about it that didn't, that didn't sit with you? Yeah, I just, I mean, to me, I know that there are, I'm sure, big metaphors and life meaning. But when I read it, it just seemed like, well, here's a man who is fishing on the sea. The end. (laughs) I just, I don't know. Maybe I just wasn't deep enough. I just didn't really, I just didn't really, uh, I just didn't get it basically and was really bored. I will say though, it was a very short book. So um, it had that going for it. (laughs) I don't know. I feel like now I'm going to get all this hate mail from Hemingway, uh, people who love Hemingway and are like, how could you say that? Uh, But it just wasn't for me. I hear you. I had a literature professor once who said that this was the best sentence in the English language. Are you ready? Yes. Krebs looked at the bacon fat hardening on his plate. And it is from, oh, what's it called? In Our Time? It's a short story collection. Uh I will say that that was one of the best classroom discussions I've ever sat through. But yeah, I think it, it's a question. We'll just call it a question of taste. And that is very helpful as I'm choosing books for you. Excellent. Donna, what are you reading right now? Oh, I'm reading a really good book. Um, it's actually from your summer reading guide, of course, uh, which I'm really enjoying. But anyways, it's called The Lost Book of the Grail. Oh, yes. It's by Charlie Lovett, which I never read anything by him before. Had you read anything before before this one? Well, he writes literary kind of mysteries that involve old books and sometimes Jane Austen. So yes, yes, I have. I will definitely check out his other stuff. But yeah, I mean, right there, just say literary mystery. And okay, we're good. I'm done. (laughs) Yeah, I'm a sucker for those too. Okay, great. Well, I have ideas for you. I'm curious to see... (laughs) If I have ideas you haven't actually read yet, and we will get to them right after the break. Sounds good. Donna, welcome back. Thank you. Okay, now usually this is the part where I get to draw common threads and all that stuff. But what you want is, well, I was going to say it's straightforward, but by your straightforward definition, maybe Hemingway should be a-okay with you and it's not. Right. So let me try then. We want absorbing stories, interesting characters... A little bit of family drama. I guess some of Alice's companions are her surrogate family in a way. And we're looking for uh, interesting, how about a touch of more obvious artistry as opposed to like a sparer take like Hemingway has. I think that's perfect. And if we've got a little wit and whimsy, I think that would probably be appreciated. Definitely a bonus. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, on that note, I'd like to know if you have ever read Middlemarch by George Eliot. 
I have not. Okay. Do you know much about it? I know nothing. Okay. Well, I'm going to spare you the plot summary because that doesn't make anybody want to read the classics. Although I will say that it was only after I read Middlemarch that so many of Kate Atkinson's illusions, especially in Life After Life, made sense. And it made me realize that I didn't realize I had this cultural gap going on when I was reading today's literature that's informed by the classics. But I was certainly glad to fill it. Um, also, this is a very long book. It's 800 plus pages. I did it on audio myself, which I really liked. I think my version was read by Juliet Stevenson, who also narrates a lot of Jane Austen. But basically, I'm putting off having to summarize the plot because it's tricky with a book like this. But what we have is a close-eye look at a group of families living in a small British town. The messes they get themselves into, uh, the relationships they form for good and ill. And especially, you know, I couldn't tell you because it's been a few years since I've read this. If Dorothea is the main character in the book or the one I remember is the main character because I liked her the most. But um, very early on, she is, uh, she's earnest. She's really smart. She lacks maturity, but she doesn't see it. Um, she has big ideas, especially for a woman in that time. And then in very much Jane Austen style, she decides for the best possible reasons to marry a man who is no good at all and definitely not good for her um, many years her senior a scholar um, Kate Atkinson lampoons him for his pretensions to scholarliness is that the word so he's forever working on this manuscript that's never ever going to be finished and she comes to see that so she's a woman trapped in a marriage and this novel was published in 1872 she really was very much trapped so of course she's not the only one with relationship woes in this small British town. So there we follow her uh, sister. There's a handsome young doctor who comes to town. He might get entrapped in an unsuitable marriage of his own. And George Eliot's uh, descriptions are a little long to the modern ear, but they are they are uh, witty, they're wry, they're not as bubbly as some of Jane Austen can feel, but they're uh, very readable. It's a word that's really held up over time, although a contemporary editor would certainly cut 200 pages. And I think it's a work that's still very much relevant today, since authors like Kate Atkinson are still referencing it. And also it comes in so many beautiful hardback cloth bound editions that would look really, really nice on a bookshelf and be worth returning to every five years. How does that sound? That literally sounds perfect. And I really like the tie-in with Kate Atkinson. I had not picked up on that at all when reading that book that she was referring to a classic. So I'm very, very intrigued by that. Okay. I like the sound of that. Okay. Book two. What do you know about A Room with a View by E.M. Forster? Oh, I have read that book, but it was ages ago. And actually, to me, that fits into this category perfectly, because I do want books, you know, even if I've read them before, I want to reread them. And I feel like that book, too. Sometimes I think that I know it really, because I know the movie more than I really know the book. Does that make sense? It does. But it's such a good movie. 
such a good movie. And really, it hews pretty close to the book. Oh, it does? Uh-huh. Okay. So do you want to... All right. Well, you know what? Let's talk about it. Um, okay. So in this novel, this does feel a little bit Austin-ish with a hefty dose of Italy. So, oh my gosh. So I'm just remembering Lucy Honeychurch. The names in this novel are so great. Like the wealthy guy who her family wants the young woman to marry, his name is Vise. And I don't, I don't know that there's deep meaning in George Emerson. You know what? There probably is. That's an American literary reference for sure. Um, but Lucy Honeychurch, it's just so adorable. That's perfect, yes. Played by Helena Bonham Carter. And maybe, oh, I don't know if that's my favorite movie performance. I haven't seen A Room with a View in maybe 10 or 15 years, but I just remember loving it so much. So Lucy Honeychurch is young. She's British. And she is touring... The Italian countryside, well, not just the countryside, um, but the whole plot turns on a kiss in a poppy field in the countryside. So I think that's the scene I really remember, for better or worse. She's touring Italy with her older, I believe, spinster cousin, who is very strict and proper and is in charge of preserving Lucy's virtue and the appearance thereof. But they're at a hotel in Florence, and they meet this completely like charming and engaging and really free spirited father and son pair. And they are unlike any people that Lucy, very sheltered Lucy has ever encountered. And she's intrigued, but the young man is not marriage material. And she's supposed to settle down with Cecil Vise, who Daniel Day Lewis is just amazing in that role. But she uh, has to make a choice she never thought she'd have to make. And it just feels very, yeah, Jane Austen meets Italy. What could be better than that? <laughs> Almost 100 years later. Oh, now see, I have a terrible, terrible memory for books. So this is, a, this is perfect because I, I don't really remember that much uh, about it. So it's, the, it's just the right kind of book for me to reread over time. I love the sound of that. Have you read any Edith Wharton? I feel like I have, but nothing nothing is immediately leaping to mind. Okay. I'm going to throw in a 2.5 since you've already read A Room with a View. Um, I'm thinking The House of Mirth, uh, Young Woman, Bad Choices, Money Troubles, Marriage is Salvation, New York City, uh, The Gilded Age, I think really pretty hardcovers available. I think it might be worthy of your list. That sounds right up my alley. Okay. Well, I especially had to give you a book 2.5 because I'm going way out on a limb with number three. Oh, I'm intrigued. Okay. You can tell me if you hate the sound of this. Okay. Okay. So it was just published in 1978. So that's only nearly 40 years ago. I heard, I heard something about the 30 year rule once, like... Yeah, I'm gonna, there's a there's a post on Modern Mrs. Darcy about it. I'll find it and I'll link to it. But I remember reading advice once that if you are 18 years old and you're look you're deciding on what school to go to, you want to make sure you go to a school where the majority of works on any literature courses syllabus, unless it's a contempt, you know studies in contemporary whatever, but the core material needs to be 30 years old or you should run for the hills. Because if it hasn't stood the test of time, or if you're not going to examine why it will or will not, as in contemporary survey courses, 
that's not how you're going to, you're, you're not going to get the foundation you need to build your education upon. I like that idea. I'd never heard of that, but it makes a lot of sense. Okay. So this novel passes that test, but it's newer than anything on your list today. And the one I have in mind, it's Going After Cacciato by Tim O'Brien, who is probably best known for The Things They Carried. And I'm guessing this is, well, I don't know. Do you know anything about this book, Donna? I know absolutely nothing. Okay. So I first encountered this book, probably like a lot of readers, in Thomas Foster's book, How to Read Literature Like a Professor. And if I had not read his book before I read Going After Cacciato, I'd like to think that I would have seen what he pointed out to me that I should be looking for, but I am not 100% sure. But okay, here's what I like about this. Like the things they carried, this is a novel about Vietnam. So it definitely is dark, it's serious, it's brooding, like he is tackling a a really heavy topic, but he plays so much with the literary canon in this novel that it's really a unique reading experience and one that I think you might find to be a whole lot of fun. Like the potentials for rabbit trailing are huge. And one of those novels that he references, well, here, let me tell you what happens. So Cacciato is a soldier in the war. So the novel is broken up into three parts. Um, you have a war experience, you have a big trip to Paris, you have, which might actually be imaginary. And then there's a long night watch, but halfway through the middle of the novel, the characters or a character falls down a hole in the road. And after they fall down that hole, one of the characters says, Oh, well to get out, we have to fall back up. So, that is a strong reference to Alice in Wonderland. And all of a sudden you realize, oh, wait, he's been doing this the whole book. Like, so like Lewis Carroll, you have this alternate reality. That's just the beginning of all the different literary works that he's referencing throughout the book. So while you're reading, you're reading this story about what's going on with these, these men in Vietnam with this troop, but all of a sudden your this war book you're reading is like playing like forwards backwards and sideways with all these other novels that either you've read before or you'll want to after googling the references so it is a war novel and it is violent but there's so much more going on that just totally transcends like what you typically think of when you think about a war novel and war novels can be like pretty darn amazing. So I am definitely not slamming war novels. Um, I think some of the best books I've read have been set in wartime because there's so much material there, but it's also so much more than that. How does that sound? Okay, that's literally the perfect pick for me. Probably about 10 years ago, I went to Vietnam and, um, I was just really, um, you know, interested from a historical perspective about the war and had gone to some different areas. Like we, we went through some of the tunnels that they had dug, uh, you know, for part of the war, some of the, uh, soldiers had lived underground. And, uh, so we, we were going through some of these tunnels and it just gives you an amazing perspective about how, obviously how brutal the war is, but to what lengths people, have to go through uh, in 
in war. And anyways, I came home from that trip and just started reading a bunch of books about Vietnam and uh, watching a bunch of movies. So that it's just kind of a uh, big hot topic for me. So this is literally the perfect pick. Oh, wow. I had no idea. That's never one of those places that I assume someone might have been one day. Right. Well, that's amazing. Donna, of these three novels, what do you think you'll read next? Oh, that's tough. I am leaning towards Middlemarch. I think even just because it's such a long book, which I've been wanting to tackle, I feel like I've been reading a lot of you know, shorter novels that I can just get through quickly and get them crossed off my list. But for this, uh, for this series, I really want something that I can take my time with. And Middlemarch sounds like it'll be perfect for that. All right. I love the sound of that. I can't wait to hear what you think. And I cannot wait to hear about your road trip. Thank you. I'm really excited. Oh, I bet. Donna, it was so good talking books with you today. Thanks for coming on. Oh, thanks, Anne. I, it's all my pleasure. Hey readers, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Donna today. Head to the podcast site to share your recommendations for Donna and to let her know there what you thought of my recommendations. That page is at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 83, and it's also where you'll find the full list of titles we talked about today. You can keep up with Donna at her website, iamyourrabbit.com, and we will put links to where to find her in show notes. If you're on Twitter, let me know there at Ann Bogle. That is Anne with an E, B as in books, O-G-E-L. Tag us on Instagram to share what you are reading. You can find me there at Anne Bogle and at What Should I Read Next. You can also find me in real life very, very soon. I can't believe it's already the middle of June, which means our big live event in Louisville, Kentucky is fast approaching. Join me on Saturday, June 24th for the Popcast Live with previous guests, Knox McCoy and Jamie Golden, right here in Louisville. It's in a very cool venue in a very cool town, if I do say so myself, and I'll be joining them as their special guest at the show. The VIP pre-party at my house and VIP tickets for the Saturday show are already gone, but to ease your pain on that score, they've opened up a new, less expensive category of general admission tickets. To get yours, go to knoxandjamie.com slash Louisville. I hope to see you there live and in person. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Reiner Maria Rilke said, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone.